Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Ghost Chronicles. Two full hours tonight. Unbelievable. I am Ron Kolick, your host, and with me, my co-host, all the way from the land of the Red Dragon, is the gold standard in ghost hunting, the godfather of ghost hunting, the all-round good guy, Mr. Stephen Possets. Good evening. How are you? I am outstanding. I'm glad you're outstanding. Yes, excellent. Anyways, also joining us tonight is our good friend from Scotland, which is another part of that country across the sea, Mr. Stephen Scott. Yeah, good evening, guys. So tell him, let's just correct something. Scotland is not part of that country across the sea. It's an entirely separate country. Yeah, whatever. Oh, oh, oh. Not, so, not, to, not to us Americans. So, you know, you you got to get okay. us straight. So, so joining us from Massachusetts tonight, part of that great state of New York. Huh? Wait a minute. Huh? I never. Ga- wait a minute. I never. I never huh? gave the title to whatever that country was that I was referring to. So, Petui on uh, you. Part of Scott joining us from part of that great country. Across right, the, exactly. I believe exactly. Scotland no, no, is part not. of that great country. No, it's not. No, it's not. Can't we ever no, start not. a show with you out arguing with me? You every yeah. time I have an opening line, you just continue to butt in it's, and tear at the shreds. It's, so it's it's insulting to to someone from Britain and someone from Scotland or Wales or England Which is or what Ireland. I'm going to talk about tonight if you just give me a chance without you sprouting off every time. Stop insulting us, then. And wasn't we, don't insult your, we don't insult your choice of president. Oh, go away. Anyways, what I was going to say is Wales has a red dragon and England has a white dragon. What is colors is Scotland's dragon, Stephen Scott? We don't have a dragon. What the hell? Why not? Because <laughs> we have a unicorn. Oh, you have a unicorn? Oh, okay, that's fine. You have rainbows too? No. <laughs> no rainbows. Well, actually, yes, there's plenty of rainbows in Scotland. And uh, we're a very progressive nation, but um, uh, it's mostly caused by the rain as well. We get a lot of rain up here. Uh huh. So, is there a national creature of Scotland? <laughs> I believe it's the unicorn. Is it really? Yeah. I thought you'd be facetious. You, no, no, no. <laughs> it's on our. It's uh, you see it on the flags and things. Uh, we've got the lion rampant, but with the lion and unicorn. I have to look at a closer at the uh, Scottish flag. I, I, I don't believe I've, I've got one from Wales. I've got one from England. Uh, yeah, I don't think I have a Scottish flag. I'll have to There's a lot of em- emblems here. You'll see like a thistle, and you'll have like, a lion and a unicorn and things like that. Mm. 
We, we were, uh, Steve, Steve Posset and I were talking, I think it was on last week's show, about uh, he was saying how the Americans love to fly the flag, but you don't see that uh, too often in Britain. Is is that common in Scotland? Is... See that again, Ron Sody? You faded out there. Am I, am I, I, I know, I don't understand this. I really have problems with uh, fading, and I'm not sure what it is because, uh, I don't know. Anyway, anyways, uh, does... You know, we were talking on last week's show, I believe, uh, with Steve Haas and myself, and he was saying how America loves to fly the flag, and and uh, it's not that uh, prevalent in in the UK. Is is that true? Uh, no, no, we do like to fly flags. Uh, if I look out my window here, there's probably about thirty percent of the houses around about me uh, all have a Scottish flag up. A couple have the, the UK flag as well. The yeah, I was going to ask you. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a couple flying the Union Jack, there's, uh, but there's a lot fly the Saltire in the St Andrew's Cross. What, what about uh, you, you, Stephen Parson? Any? I mean, what? No, I was, what last week I was referring to England. England, you almost never see houses or school buildings or uh, town town built. Uh, you know. Council buildings flying the English or, or very rarely even the Union flag. Mm. Um, much less, you know, you, what I was saying, what we were saying last week is that you know, go to America and almost every house has got the uh, American flag. Uh, almost every classroom, almost every courthouse, courtroom. You don't see that in the in in the in the UK. Now, it is slightly different in the. Uh, regions now, Northern Ireland and Scotland both do. Um, they're, they're much more, uh, from my English perspective, they are much more fiercely uh, nationalistic um, and a lot less apologetic. <laughs> what about Wales? Uh, the, the Welsh just take the English at the moment. They, they, they. No, what flag do they fly? Uh. You, what do you, you, what you, do you see for if you do see a flag in, in Wales? Uh, most of the castles will fly either a Union flag and a Welsh dragon um, because, it's a tour, because it's a tourist industry thing. You, know. mm -hmm. uh, you don't see the Welsh dragon flying from um, you know, uh, corporate buildings or office blocks or in schools. Or in fact, you never see the Welsh dragon flying except on tourist attractions and castles. Yeah. Uh, it's very much a flag of the tourist industry, and also when there's a rugby match on. Oh, excellent. Then the, Welsh, then the Welsh dragon, the green and white and red flag fly. In, um, the, in the UK, I mean, in the US here, we have a, a unwritten law that if you own a car dealership, you've got to have the largest flag that's possible. Uh, <laughs> I know there is a huge <laughs> one. <laughs> Didn't the largest American flag burn, but, uh, catch fire? Uh, was it last year? I'm not not aware of. Uh, Steve. There, was, there was a news there was a news article about America's largest car dealership's flag, and it was the largest one in the United States. Apparently, it caught fire during a something went wrong. Apparently, caught fire. Huh. Interesting. That's all right. We have more. by Subaru dealer. Yeah, we have more. Anyway, <laughs> so one thing I wanted to talk a little bit before we get into all the ghosty stuff is is Scottish history. And one thing that always intrigued me was the the stone 
that the English stole from Scotland and then the Scottish stole it back. I thought that was an intriguing story. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that, what that stone is, Stephen Scott, and, and what the story is? Well, that's the Stone of Schoon that you're talking about, I think. Uh, I think, uh, wow. Uh, it was, it was, under, it was under, in England, they Stephen, had it under the throne. Stephen, is, it, is it Schoon or Stone or Schoon? It, it's, the palace is called Schoon Palace, so it's called the Stone of Schoon. Uh, but uh, I always called it the Stone of Schoon for a long time, um, <laughs> because it just sounds better. I mean, Stone and Schoon. You know, it's there's two words spelled exactly the same apart from one consonant. Why is it now changed? I don't know. <laughs> so I, uh, I don't think many of the Americans would have understood that reference to scone, scone, or scoon. No, yes, not at all. Yeah. Every all three of them are spelled the exact same way. Ah, so scoon, scone, and scone. And you can eat two of them. <laughs> yes, yes, you kind of did. Uh, so it's, I'll, I'll be honest, Rod, uh, a little heads up would have been good because I know basically nothing about the Stone of Scoot. Oh, my God. I thought you were such a nationalist. I must be. Wow. Well, that, just... I mean, that the concept of an ancient stone of sovereignty doesn't really make you a nationalist, wait, I'm afraid. Wait, 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 yet you, you go out for King Arthur and the, the stones of uh, Excalibur and all that stuff. Hey, we went and had a I look think... at it. I've, I've been to Schoon Abbey and I've, I've <laughs> been to Schoon Palace and all that kind of thing. And I've, I've you know, I've had a look about there. But uh, I do know that it was, um, if I remember right, it was buried in, during the Second World War to keep it safe. And I can't Steve, remember where. I think it was Steve, Westminster. Steve, do you want to straighten this history out for us? No, Stephen, no, no. Stephen Passes? No, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you for why. Because what this is illustrating is a conversation I had uh, on a different radio show last week, yeah. uh, illustrating the, the appalling lack of knowledge of European history by the Americans, how they keep muddling things up. <laughs> You've already thrown in King, King Arthur, who is Cornish English, with Scotland. Well, once again, you, you started, didn't hear, you hear my show by calling Scotland. If England, you had, if you had listened to the freaking show, you would have realized that Stephen Scott went to King Arthur's court, and that's what I was referring to you. But once again, you're looking for an argument, so I'll just move on. I thought well, you knew a little bit about the history <laughs> well, of Scotland. What, what I do know I, about the Stone I, of Destiny is it used to be used during the, the, the coronation. coronation. Yes. Yeah, of the Scottish monarchs way back in the day. And I can't remember exactly what battle it was, but I believe King Edward took it from Schoon Abbey and placed it... I don't know if he put it into a... I can't remember if he put it into a throne or, or, or some sort of chair or something. And yes, it, it was, well, it was, it was it, put it, inside you... Westminster. That's about as much as I know. And I do know it was broken in two and stolen. We yeah. took it back and it's been... Buried ever since. Maybe. It's hidden away. Yeah, maybe. Because nobody knows. Well, isn't, isn't it, there's a mythology now attached to it. Edward I took it, took it down to Westminster. It was, it was put under uh, the British, the English royal throne. Uh, I can't remember the, if it was throne God, or if it was a chair. I, I seem to think well, it's a coronation it, it, chair, it is yes, a coronation chair. Yeah. The throne of Edward the Confessor, which was used as that's the coronation. Right. That's right. 
And it was put underneath so that the monarch would sit on both, but Scotland would be subservient to England. Um, the Scots apparently stole it back and then hid it. But they may not have done. <laughs> or they may have done. That's it, that's they're quite sure. They may have let them steal it. <laughs> well, uh, they may have stolen it, or they may have stolen a replica because it had been previously stolen. Um, it, it, yeah, it, Let's it, face it, we may have got halfway there, decided it was too far to walk, picked up the biggest rock we could find and went yeah. to the pub and dropped it the way there. <laughs> we don't really know. It's, uh, I mean, it's hundreds and hundreds of years old, the legend. Uh, yeah. And I, I'm trying to remember, there was a... I know that it's in Edinburgh. I'm just back up in Edinburgh Castle now. We, we uh, get some uh, interference on somebody's, and I think it might be you, Stephen Scott, so I'm not sure. It? Sorry. It. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's better now. Okay. That's because I've stopped talking. Oh, that works good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought maybe you were talking with your hands or something, and uh, yeah. yeah, maybe that no, was No, no, no. No, I don't know what it is. I, I, oh, the cat was rubbing up against my headphones there, that's probably what it was. Um, so uh, <laughs> I'm trying to dredge up all my old Scottish history now. I seem to remember it was taken away and it was hidden by the monks of Schoon Abbey. Uh, but I don't think anybody is ever sure exactly where they hid it. So let me ask both of you this. is What, what history do they teach in both Wales, or well, Steve, it's not fair. Well, yeah, you have kids in Wales, so you would know. And uh, and uh, you in Scotland is is it is it uh, what what history do you learn? What what do you learn? Well, I mean, I can only speak really from myself, and that mm-hmm. was about forty years ago. You know, thirty five, forty years ago, I was at school. Um, we touched briefly. We have two different levels of schooling. We have primary education and secondary education here. Primary education is from the age 5 till 12. Secondary education is from 12 to about 16, you know, or 18, depending on how far you want to take it. So uh, our primary education, we had a... It de- I think it depends really on your teachers, or it did when I was at school. We had a teacher who was quite passionate about Scottish history and... Uh, I remember his name is Mr. O'Brien, which is really weird because he sounds Irish, but he's yeah, very he passionate about Scottish history. And uh, he literally hammered all of this stuff into us about William Wallace, Robert Bruce, the Black Douglas, Culloden, all this type of thing. And it's through him that I remember, I'll be honest, most of that information. And that's mm. going back to when I was eight years old, nine years old. So that was a long time ago. Uh, but uh, after that, I think in secondary school, you mostly get and I'm pretty sure Steve got the same as me. World War One, a bit of World War Two, the Russian Revolution. Um, <laughs> what else did we get? Britain from Waterloo to the Great Exhibition of London, and that's about it. So <laughs> All the good they, stuff is yeah. done in primary. Uh, yeah, I mean, you do primary school, you do the Romans. Romans that's right. Uh, you, Tudors and the Stuarts. Mm-hmm. We always the do Vikings. the Tudors and the Stuarts. The Vikings. Um, then when you get to secondary school, it's pretty well laid down. Um, it's, it's, as Stephen said, it's European history, 1870 to the present day. And the present God, day, yeah. of course, with the Beatles um, and <laughs> the winning of the World Cup in 1966, <laughs> which, which weirdly were in, a, were in my school history book. Um, I, I loved history at school. I had, I had a very inspirational history teacher, uh, Mr. Mm-hmm. Cornflake. And um, he was he was he was really sort of uh, 
enthusiastic about medieval history, which we didn't do as part of the curriculum, but he, we did sort of extracurricular with him. Um, and it was uh, one of the, the great regrets is that when I when I first went to America, Ron will will remember when we went to the we went to the Northbridge and the Manse, was talking to um, our mutual friend Tom, because we were never taught anything about the American Revolution, uh, the Revolutionary War. Of course, we don't talk uh, about that dark period of history. <laughs> and uh, it's only you know it's only been subsequently that we you know we realise why the White House is called the White House and uh, how we accidentally set fire to it in eighteen twelve, <laughs> and and how you know we we helped the brave Confederates um, in the eighteen sixties by building them warships and keeping them supplied because it was in, it was. Uh, Important for our cotton industry that we we maintain the the, the southern cotton uh, plantations, uh, but Britain was ahead of America. It's something we did do at school, uh, but how Britain was was far ahead of America, uh, pushing towards the abolition of slavery, even though we were supporting the Confederate South because the cotton industry of Great Britain needed the you know supplies for Cottonopolis. Um, we did, of course, the Industrial Revolution um, and how Britain uh, invented, you know, cool stuff like um, iron and steel and railways and radio and television and, well, just about everything, really. Really? Uh, and then America came along and commercialized it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They invented everything. Oh, well, they okay. claimed as well. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, America won World War One, World War Two. Oh, we all know that. They won the Battle of Britain. Um, what else? else? Yeah. Where else weren't they? Um, and then, of course, you know, history. Uh, subsequently, my boys. You asked about the boys at school. Uh, so this week they've been watching. Um, well, it's the same story, in fact. Um, uh, the story of uh, William Wallace and his brave fight against the English, and then when he was reincarnated as the Patriot in his brave fight against the. <laughs> <laughs> same film, different, uh, yeah, same movie, same script, just different background. Same actor. <laughs> <laughs> and and his, both is historically accurate as one another. Like yeah. the famous scene from um, Braveheart, the Battle of Stirling Bridge, only they forgot the bridge. <laughs> yeah, it's very true, actually. <laughs> you, you know what's so interesting is is the Americans just have such a great love for for the UK, and uh, it it we we really I know it's it's hard to understand why we do. I mean, you know, we 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 were you know we fought to break away from, and you know we fought them with the UK again, but. Uh, we just love it. We love your royals. We love your everything about the UK. And uh, as we know, some of the the great uh, authorities on on the UK are American. Isn't that right, Steve? Oh God, yeah. Every time we have a royal wedding, they the the experts that they trot out on the BBC are all American commentators. <laughs> And, of course, we have, you know, if you want to find out about uh, British ghost stories and British haunted houses, then um, what better than the innumerable American experts? Yeah, that's some, true. Some, some, of, some of whom have never set foot out of Illinois. True, true. <laughs> so, speaking about ghosts, and I, I want to 
go with Stephen Scott on this one. Is is growing up was ghost ever a thing there? I mean, were were ghosts ever? Was there any interest in it? I guess that's the, what I'm trying to say. When I was growing up, yeah, yes, uh, I think it's there's always been a kind of a slightly mystical element, I think, to that. I mean, the UK is flooded with ghost stories, right? Uh, and Britain itself has just a mass of old, old history. I'm, I'm not meaning to be demeaning here when I say real history. I'm talking about history that goes back, you know, thousands of years. And a lot of our commoner, normal practices that we do, a lot of these are based in superstitious practices and beliefs that go way back to pagan times, you know, that are now coming forward as simple superstitions. So as you're growing up and you ask about certain things, like spilling salt, throw it over your shoulder, in case the devil doesn't get a hold of you, you, <laughs> you know, step in a crack, break your mother's back, that type of thing, all these bad luck symbols. So you're, you, you can... Uh, I, I grew up in a very... I wouldn't say a very superstitious family, but I remember my grandmother and my grandfather, and uh, my grandmother while she claimed not to be superstitious, seemed to know an awful lot about superstitions. Um, <laughs> which is which is your, your typical wee granny that you get. And uh, she always had these little anecdotes that she'd come out with uh, about, you know, don't do that, it's bad luck, that's, that's bad luck, that kind of thing. And um, when you were growing up, I think you grow up along with all this mysticism. Then as you go to school, you learn about the mystical aspects of our culture and our history. And then somewhere you suddenly become cognizant of the fact that it gets a bit scary in the dark. So you can't help but be aware of the potential for these types of ghost stories. And I don't know how you hear it. I can't remember how I first started hearing about them, but I took a very big interest in ghosts and that type of thing from a very early age. I blame Arthur C. Clarke. Oh, uh, yeah. And very definitely I blame Peter Underwood mm. because uh, I'm trying to remember what the book club was called. Steve, do you remember they used to come round the schools with a book library? Oh, yeah. it was a bookworm, bookworm, book library. And yeah, Pe I remember do you remember that? And Peter Underwood's uh, The Ghost Hunter's Handbook was there and I picked that up. Blimey, that's, that's fairly I've still got it. I've still got yeah. it on my bookshelf, and it's. I started going about my house. I was about eight, borrowing flour from the cupboards in the kitchen and <laughs> sprinkling it all over the house. And my mother got up there. This was like midnight. I got up out of my bed and I went and I sprinkled flour all over the house, hoping to catch a ghost, a ghost handprint or a ghost footprint or something. And all I got was a sore rear end when my mother woke up in the morning. There was bloody flour all over the place. Um, <laughs> I got into trouble. I didn't catch a ghost, but I caught a backhander across the seat of the pants. Um, <laughs> but uh, and it started from there, and then I, I started reading more into it. So it's, I think there's always been that kind of mysticism and that, that kind of shrouded, dark, moonlit, moor-like, you know, environment that you get. And I think it just breeds that type of thing. So, yeah, I've, I've always been aware of ghost stories as far back as I can remember. I blame the old TV series, the old black and white television series. I blame Basil Rathbone and the House of Fear and oh, Scarlet Claw and yeah. all of these types of things. I don't think you can avoid it when you grow up like that. And uh, I was blessed enough to have parents that allowed me to indulge in these and keep them going. And that, I mean, so, yeah, from a very young age, it, it was never discouraged. Mm -hmm. And Steve, the same with you. I mean, was there? I, I knew you had an experience, I believe, when you were young, uh, didn't you, Stephen? No, 
not one that I can ever recall. Not one that I can certainly not one that I can recall. I I I've told my my story before. I always thought it was I was a teenager before I got interested in this mumbo jumbo. Um, but it, it transpires much younger, um, and uh, you know, as a, as a kid on holiday, age six, seven, eight, I used to demand to be taken to go and look for ghosts in haunted houses. And uh, a, a group of friends, uh, we, we made a Ouija board that we were doing in the in the garage. Uh, and again, that was primary school, so that was before the age of ten. Um, I have no recollection of that. Apparently, I had I had a a phantom friend, an imaginary friend, as a as a very young boy, two three years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have no recollection of that, so I, I can't say I can't really claim that I did because my parents say I did, but I don't have any memory of it whatsoever. Do you remember um, what was on the tube at that time? Do you remember what was on? Yeah, I mean, te- uh, television wise, yeah. it was the same the same shows that, that Stephen's just just outlined. Um, but of course, you've also got to add to that there was also the comedic shows as well. You had Rent a Ghost, you had Scooby oh, yeah. Doo, you had you know ghost ghost uh, ghost stories and ghost you know uh, are, are part of the the British culture. You know, we love a ghost story. It's traditional, one of the great traditions of Christmas. Um, is is the Christmas ghost story? And I remember, you know, being able, to, being allowed to stay up late on Christmas night, never Christmas Eve, it was always Christmas night, uh, to watch the the BBC Two ghost story. Uh, so that's what they they, act, they actually did it on TV. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. They they, they it was a, in fact they still do. It was it was a BBC tradition to do the Christmas night ghost story. Yeah. Um, they used to call it a ghost story for Christmas, and it was a lot of the yeah. Montague Rhodes James stories. Uh, yeah. Warning to the Curious, the Tractate Midoth, mm-hmm. um, the Stalls of Barchester Cathedral, all of these kind of tales. Yeah. Uh, and the, one oh, I, yeah, the one that always spooked me was the Signalman. Oh, yeah. I just get shivers there when you mentioned that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was creepy. That was what creepy. Which one was it? The, signal, the Signalman. It's what? it's so iconic. Actually, they they still periodically show it every few Christmases. Really? Yeah. What, yeah. I mean, what was what was the premise? Um, you got a minute. It's a, it, it's a signal box at the end of a cutting uh, in at night, and I don't want to spoil it for people. It's so good. Yeah. But even even before that, back back in the day, you had some very scary TV programs like Sapphire and Steel, and they had a very yeah. creepy. Do you remember the one set at the, the railway station, well, Steve? You, you have Quatermass as well. Quatermass, well, yes. I'm let you, well, I'm going to let you think about some of those because we have to take a break anyway. And we'll, we'll we'll talk about that when we come back a little bit about uh, some of these iconic ghost stories. And uh, anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parson and Ron Kolick and our special guest, Stephen Scott. Uh, and we'll be – oh, today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrick Street in Methuen, Massachusetts. And, of course, the Messier, Gallant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street in North Andover, Massachusetts. And we'll be right back after the following messages. Right here on Tojanet Perrax Radio.
Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk gooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give the awards to the Parrax family. Transatlantic International Edition of Ghost Chronicles International, brought to you tonight from Wales, by an Englishman, Scotland, by a Scotsman, and America, by somebody. A poll. <laughs> and it's ghost stories, and the first ghost stories uh, that we grew up with, which... Um, I mean, we were doing the Christmas ones, weren't we? And there, is, there is the attribution, of course, that, that Dickens is to blame for all this. Yes. But histori- historically, that's not correct, because we were telling ghost stories around the, the fire in our wattle and daub, daub huts at the midwinter festivals long before um, Dickens exploited it with his, uh, with his famous and legendary ghost stories at Christmas. Hmm. So, what's, I mean... If you, I mean, I noticed, like you know, I, I, I love, I love English, uh, British TV or whatever it is, and uh, every one I watch, like Midsummer's Murders or any other series, they all have a Christmas special. With even Doctor Who, Doctor Who has a Christmas special. They, they all have Christmas specials. X Files had Christmas special, if you, if you remember. And uh, I mean, do you have a, a favorite one that? Uh, I'll ask Stephen Scott first. A favorite one that. That you say, okay, this is this is one I really love. I, I, I can watch it every year, and I have no problem with it. Every year at Christmas. Wow, uh, that's a that's actually a really tricky question. Uh, are you talking about a ghost story here? A ghost story, yeah, a yeah, ghost story. Oh, yeah, wow. we're not talking uh, about Miracle on 39th Street or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I was going to say a Christmas story because I, I just want Ralphie to get that. I love Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yep. yep. <laughs> I, you know, I do. Ha- I do have a Red Rider uh, BB gun, by the way. <laughs> Don't just, I'm not just surprised. You'll have your eye out with that sun, you know. I know, I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. A favourite Christmas ghost story is. Yeah. Oh my! I'm really not sure. Uh, Parson, you want to well, give Stephen Scott a little bit of time since he's. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, Christmas isn't Christmas without the legendary. Uh, Alistair Sim version of A Christmas Carol. Mm. 
Um, for me, that that makes Christmas each year, um, and it's on each year. You know, it's iconic. It's it's the it's the classic archetypal uh, Scrooge yep. uh, Christmas Carol, and you know, I mean, there's a colorized version of the film, which uh, it's all right. The black and white one's better. There's been innumerable copies of the movie made, uh, you know, with Muppets and. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bill Murray and all. Yeah, but, but for me, Alistair Sim and that one film is it, it's Christmas in the box. Oh, Stephen Scott. Yeah, I'm trying to. But unfortunately, the I remember back in the day being absolutely terrified watching Michael Horton and the whistle, and I'll come to you, my lad. Oh, and it, that one. it was at Christmas. <laughs> it was part of the Christmas ghost story, but it's not set. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, it doesn't say technically when it's set, but it's very bright and clear and crisp. Uh, but that was, in its time, absolutely terrifying to watch mm-hmm. uh, because it just it's so downplayed up until the ending. And by standards nowadays, it's, you know, a lot of people would, Actually, no, I disagree. I think if someone came into this unsuspecting, they would still feel the chills at the end of it. Special mm-hmm. effects-wise, it's very simple, but uh, very, very effective. And it's that typical M.R. James story of someone unearths something and sets something loose, and there's a price mm-hmm. to be paid for that. Oh. Do, you know, do you know what, Stephen? We're, we're, we're neglecting here the Brontes and Wuthering Heights. Oh, Ice. God, yes, of course. Uh-huh. Fantastic yeah. ghost story. What is it? Uh, Wuthering Heights by Charles Bronte. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, people forget and overlook the fact that that's a ghost story set on, you know, the bleakest of the Yorkshire Moors. Um, you know, with it, it's got everything. It, it's a gothic, you know, horror, uh, ghost story. Uh, and yes. Prior to that, you've got, you've got, of course, you've got uh, Mary Shelley's uh, modern Prometheus, mm-hmm. Frankenstein. Um, you know, you've got you've got Bram Stoker with Dracula. You yeah, have but those aren't those Christmas stories. I'm sorry. No, they're not Christmas stories, but they're all part of that same genre. Yeah, of, same genre. Yeah, okay, I understand. A great yeah. sort of you know, sort of the gothic horror ghost, because a lot of the ghost stories get intertwined with the horror stories as well, mm-hmm. and that's sure. where you get that's where you get the great television. Uh, I mean, America had it with the Twilight Zone. We had Quatermass in the pit. We had Doctor Who. We had we had the Stone Tape for Christ's sake. The Stone Tape was great. Yeah. Nigel Neely's um, uh, bizarre, beyond bizarre play, which which spawned a whole you know genre of paranormal investigation in on itself. Really? Um, yeah. It's it such did. a it's such an iconic thing that the the uh, if you if you own a DVD copy of the Stone Tape, you're sitting on a considerable amount of money. Can you Absolutely. give us a premise of, of what that was about to you know, for the uh, people in America? Of, a group of scientists in a haunted mansion trying to communicate with the dead by tapping into the walls. What oh, It starts out uh, with them they trying to develop... The yeah, they're trying to develop some sort of new energy wave, aren't they? And they rent this old house and then they inadvertently, accidentally, end up tapping into the, the remnants of what's there. But it ends really strange. It, it's not just about ghosts. I've I've got it not in DVD unfortunately, but uh, and it is one of those things that I tend to watch maybe once every two years and um, 
It's it's very seventies. It's very odd. It's got uh, what's her name, Jane Jane Asher in it. Who all all the way through it, she kind of it kind of intimates that she may be sensitive, but it's played off in a very seventies way of it's just a hormonal woman acting silly. <laughs> but it, but it, it's it's all very come on lad, <laughs> come on darling, that kind of attitude all the way through the film, all the way through the series, but. Uh, it never states she's sensitive, but she seems to be more sensitive to what's going on. And there's a ghost story in the house, in the old kind of castle-like building. But then it goes further back into like a kind of almost Lovecraftian ending, which is wow. really bizarre. Yeah. It's fab, it's, though. It really is that is. available on, on the internet at all? Or? I, I, it's, I think, I do believe it's kicking around the internet. I've, um, I've, I've got a copy on. It's it's. Uh, I'm not going to say that I, I could put it onto a OneDrive or anything and give you access to it. No, but, no, no, uh, no, no. Uh, no, I'm just wondering if anybody, one of our listeners, were interested in taking a, a peek at this thing, if it was out there so that they actually could do it. I mean, in this day and age, it, 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 it almost certainly is. It was only, it's only ever been released once by the British Film Institute, the BFI, yes. as, a, as a DVD. And for some reason... Um, Despite you know the huge success of the thing, they've never re-released it, which of course then means that the first edition of these DVDs are you know command command money. What's the proper uh, uh, title for this? It's called The Stone Tape by Stone Nigel Tape. Neely. Okay, yeah. so check it out, people. If uh, listeners, if you want to find out more about it, go see if it's on. Let us know too if you uh, find it on the internet. Uh, you know, uh, message me or message us uh, or post it on uh, one of our pages. And... I'm not going to say you can find it on YouTube. <laughs> you well, can or you can't? <laughs> I'm not going to say you can find it. Oh, you're not? Likewise, I'm not going to say that it might not be available on YouTube either. If you to look. <laughs> the dark YouTube. You've got to go to the dark YouTube. It's like the dark web, but more videos. Yeah. What? No, there's not a dark YouTube. I just made that up. Confusing me, guys. But I mean, up until they have, it's interesting actually because uh, up until that point, whilst there had been a number of researchers uh, like, uh, oh god, he did the ley line one. I can't remember his name. It just popped out of my head. Um. And uh, others who had suggested place memory might be, you know, an aspect to paranormal phenomena and hauntings. It was uh, Neil, Nigel Neely, was the, the man who coined, with the title of, of, the, uh, of the production, the stone tape. That's interesting. And it was such an iconic uh, concept. And the, the, well, it gave rise to the stone tape. It is the direct linear descendant, the ancestor of the stone tape. Did Sir Arthur Conan Doyle ever ever do a Christmas uh, story? Do you guys know of? Every Christmas. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? Every Christmas he wrote a, a, a particular story. In fact, the, the Cottingley Fairies was, uh, was, was for the Christmas edition of his magazine. Oh, um, wow. I wasn't aware of that. Because he, he wrote a, a monthly, or is it monthly or quarterly um, mm-hmm. magazine. Right. Uh, and so Sherlock Holmes and, never had a Christmas special. A Christmas special. Uh, there no, are. I don't think so. 
I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. In amongst uh, the twenty, the God knows how many short stories, I'm, I'm sure there actually is a Christmas Sherlock Holmes. Oh, speaking about Sherlock, Sherlock there's, about, there's about there's about thirty five shorts. Hmm. Yes, I'm trying to think. There is one. It's there's one set round about. Oh, I read old Holmes years ago. Is it the Blue Carbuncle? <laughs> the oh. mystery of the Blue Carbuncle, or something like that. I think it's set just after Christmas. I seem to remember Christmas being mentioned in one of them. He, he, uh, Doyle always used to like to include uh, some aspect of um, you know, a Christmas-related uh, story. And the Cottingley Fairies were was white, because he was off to Australia on tour, and he was pushing hard to get this thing ready for that Christmas edition mm. um, of the whatever the damn wagon. Um, I can't remember what it was called now, is it? The... Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know Dickens was household words, but off the top of my head, I can't remember all. Yeah. Uh, speaking about Sherlock Holmes, I was actually watching one the other day, and you'll never guess who played Sherlock Holmes was the guy f- who played Max Headroom. Oh, really? Uh, well, do you know guys who – do you know Max Headroom? Oh, yeah, Over. yeah. Okay, yeah. So can you imagine him as Sherlock Holmes? Not as Max Headroom, no, but that actually, I, <laughs> I would like pay it. money to watch that. I, particularly, how would the hat fit on top of the hair? <laughs> I, would, I would pay money for that, yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> what, one of the most enjoyable ones I liked was uh, the X-Files Christmas one where they're in the mansion. Do you remember that one? Yeah, how the Ghost Stole Christmas. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's that was fabulous. A, it's that was it's a great episode. It's really cool. Yeah. It's really, really good. Uh, I, I know it's it's such a difficult question, actually. You've asked Ron is just to pick a favourite. You know, it's, it's almost important. Oh, That's the right. turn of the screw as well. Is it not set at Christmas? That I do not know. The turn of the screw. But it's the. I think yeah, my. My. Touch on that. Anyway, so both. This of you, is the problem. This is the problem you're highlighting. Is there's too much? You pet the mountains. Yeah, it, because because. It is it is ingrained not just into the British you know culture and history, but also the American culture and history as well. You know, your storytelling and our storytelling are virtually intertwined. Um, sure. you know, we, you know, the us Europeans came across there in the nineteenth century, in the early twentieth century, seeking work and bringing our Christmas ghost stories with us. True. True. Yep. So. Um... When did these story, when did we become watchers of ghost stories to investigators of ghosts? Uh, now, Stephen, you said you when you were young, Stephen mm-hmm. Scott, you said when you were young, you, Peter Underwood's book led you. Is did that how it happened, or, or is there another way? Is it Steve? No, I think it, I, I, I don't know. I think it's I think it depends on the individuals. That some people are just curious. Some people kind of want to run away from certain things, you know, like ghosts or the paranormal or tigers. And um, there's, there's some people who are who, who like to go towards these things. Uh, sorry, Ron, you broke up there again. I, I thought you said something that sounded like no, no, uh, not at all. <laughs> every time you say that, you seem to break up over here. Um, <laughs> And uh, I think that some people are just drawn to that. I seem to. I remember I had a friend who had uh, like tarot cards as well, and we didn't know what they meant. And we used to just like draw cards and hope we didn't get something too scary, you mm-hmm. know. And you know, there's all these kind of different oh god, I've got the death card. <laughs> yeah, that was it. You used to think you were going to die if you pulled the death card, or somebody was going to die. And of course, nobody did. Well, maybe once, but. but, but uh, 
You know what, uh, Steve, you bring up an interesting point because we know how the, the Ouija board gets a, such a bad rap because of Hollywood. And if you look at any of the motion pictures, when they, they do the tarot cards, it's always the death card, and that's that's what it means. It means death literally yeah. in all the movies. It doesn't. And it really doesn't. <laughs> I know that's the interesting thing, but yet it has that connotation now, right? Yes, absolutely. And um, uh, I'm trying to think. I, I I blame Live and Let Die for that. To be honest, uh, <laughs> that that seemed to do it in a bad way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> particularly Roger Moore with his stack deck you know if you're ever going to stack a deck in your favour that's the way to do it um, <laughs> but uh, yeah you're absolutely right that's, I mean Hollywood movie will take something and then it, and as a result of that it then becomes part of the consciousness so now I believe that as a byproduct of that a lot of people now think tarot cards are dangerous because they bring death and destruction because that's all you ever see and it's the same with Ouija boards Right. I mean, how, how how many Ouija films come out in the past? They're still coming. They're, they're, they're still out there. I've yet to see one that is, you know, you know Sally, Sally and Jim find a Ouija board and then they sit down and it gives them a nice message and they go away and find an old family fortune and buy a new house and take in <laughs> some stray animals. And hey, no, no, that's, that's Leprechaun, but they changed that too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work that way, do you know, because that's not what people are after. I think they, we like to feel temporarily scared I think that's what it comes down to to get back on track to your question I think we as human beings like to feel temporarily insecure but know secretly that we are safe and that's where the ghost story comes in it gives us a moment where we can be scared of the outcome of something but not, we can feel the thrill without experiencing the risk and I think that's what the ghost story comes down to. And, it's the and same I think thing. very much that's what ghost hunting comes down to. That's what I was going to say there. Yep, spot on, Steve. Yeah. So people when, know, I think people know deep down that well, they've, they've learned on television that Yvette and, um, and Co, you know, and um, Jason and Jack, they all survive. You know, Zach does battles with demons every week and, you know, unerringly he survives. Um, and so they want they can do it for themselves. It, it, it's replaced the scary movie uh, in a lot of ways, Ghost Hunting, because instead of going to the movies on a Saturday night with your mates and having the bejesus scared out of you, now you can go and do it for real. That's, it does make sense. I mean, it's... So I guess you would say this because of this vast number of ghost hunting groups and ghost hunters out there now that... It's really the fault of TV? No, not really. Um, I mean, all, I think all TV did was, was uh, because Ghost Hunting has always been incredibly popular. You know, look at the, the works of Elliot O'Donnell and Harry Potter. Wait a minute, has it really, Steve? Uh, how many, when growing up, yeah. how many people did you every, know were every, ghost hunters? No, how many ghost hunting groups hunting. did you know growing up? No, no. I'm, but ghost hunting was incredibly popular. Some of the top authors, Peter Underwood, uh, Hubert Thurston, Elliot O'Donnell, Harry Price, the list is, is, is endless. And, and, you know, the broadsheet newspapers back in the 19th century, in the early 20th century, knew that a good ghost story sold copy. People were in, But what television showed people is that ordinary people, because Underwood and Price, they were always a little Hubert Thurston, uh, they were always a little bit detached. 
and they would tell accounts of going to their friends or their acquaintances' stately home and staking it out in the middle of the night with a, you know, after having a, a nice claret in a meal, um, yeah. and then sitting up the stairs with a pistol, waiting for the ghost to appear. Now that's what the, the ordinary person could never hope to go and sit in, in, in a friend's stately manner. But then, you know, along comes television and ordinary people, makeup ladies and bald riggers and uh, crazy Americans can, can, hey, they can do it. I can do it. And that's how you, you know, that, what, that's what popularizes it. it. All television showed people is, hey, you can do it too. So on the other side of the spectrum, uh, Stephen Scott, is, is the – the vast number of mediums we now have. Every there are a tons of and tons of mediums and psychics. What has caused that uh, trend? Well, I'm, I'm going to be quite candid here from my perspective. Um, I think a lot of people like to jump on the bandwagon with that. Uh, we live in a culture where we have a very much a kind of see me look at me culture. And there are a lot of very genuine mediums out there, and there are a lot of very genuine psychics out there, and there's a lot of people out there that just want to be part of that culture. It appeals to them, and they think it's a fun thing to do, and they think it will be a, 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 a career move, almost, if you know what I mean. Yep. And, uh, Steve and I are thinking about it. <laughs> so it's... Um, Seems to pay well. Yeah, it well, it's, yeah, it, it can do for some, um, and that's why I I like to keep my my uh, aspect of that completely separate from any money making, because mm. uh, you know I keep my job, I keep doing what I'm doing, and I work hard, and then when I have time, I'll work for spirit and I'll try and help out people that may need some help or guidance and want to speak with a loved one who's maybe passed on. That's that's what that's the job of a medium. Um, I think that. Uh, it has become very popular and people see it and there's some part of, a, of their psyche wants to do that. But on the back of that, what we have to remember is that everyone has their own natural psychic ability. Oh. And I've, I see this quite a lot. All mediums are psychic, but not all psychics are mediums. Because mm-hmm. to be a medium, you have to take those psychic skills that you naturally have and train them or refine them to get them to do the job at hand. There's a. I've seen a huge rise in platform mediums, right? And who have who are actually more psychic than mediumistic. They're actually reading off the person in front of them instead of tuning in and drawing down messages. And I'm not necessarily talking about church mediums. I'm talking about what you would call gallery mediums. I believe uh, you know people who stand up in front of halls of 200, 300 people and just throw stuff out there. Because a lot of people, it, it's also popularised by the fact that people nowadays, it's uh, we are looking for a lot of comfort. The world, although it's getting uh, simpler and easier for for us to be in, you know, pre-COVID, obviously, but um, uh, it also means that a lot of the the things that trouble us are now much more prevalent in our lives, when we don't have to worry so much about. You know, I don't mean making ends meet. There's still a hell of a lot of poverty and problems in the world, but a lot of the, the first world problems we have have been simplified by technology. But now we're, we now have access to other avenues that, you know, mentally and spiritually don't tick those boxes. And people go looking for guidance and assistance 
on those levels and they don't necessarily receive that. What they receive is what people perceive to be that uh, you know level of information that everyone's looking for and there has been a big rise in that so it's I would rather see genuine media I would rather see less genuine mediums sorry I would rather see less mediums out there who are 100% genuine that's my personal take on it and Mm -hmm. and before anybody says anything it's not a case of competition or anything like that I don't look at it that way it's nothing to do with that it's pure and simply I don't like to see people getting taken advantage of and hurt and I've noticed a lot of that in the past couple of years because there are people just throwing themselves out there they attend a course they read a book they do an online thing they get a piece of paper that they've printed off the computer says they've passed this course and they're out there feeding folk absolute rubbish and making their lives miserable sounds like ghost touching Stephen Parsons doesn't it? Uh, not really. I mean, no, they don't go online, get a parapsychology course, and watch yeah, the TV, they, and then go out they, there. But they don't really exploit anybody because they're not really over here. It's considered to be very bad form of charging. Wait, wait a minute! Wait, don't they do public events? Yeah, but they're not doing any harm because what they're doing really is providing a form of entertainment. They're not providing any information. Uh, they're not claiming to pass on messages from the dead. They're just out there hunting the demons. Depends um, what you know, you're talking about. Uh, you know, there are very few ghosts. There are rogue ghost hunters, uh, but they are very few and far between. Um, you know, there's there, there are very few cra- you know groups that are doing genuine harm. Um, most of them are just having fun at the expense of someone. Uh, and usually... So, so isn't that doing harm? No, not really. They're, they're, they're doing no more harm than an episode of, you know, a, a ghost hunting television, uh, you know, a, a ghost hunting show or a ghost hunting movie or anything else. They're, they're, they're renting somewhere. In actual fact, they, they've probably done the, the uh, restoration, uh, building restoration industry. That's true. That's true. Uh, a huge favour because... In many cases, a lot of the locations that they're visiting are, you know, <laughs> reaching out for the funds because they need the revenue stream, um, and they're not, they're not, you know, nobody lives there, or very few people live in these places. Um, they, you know, by and large, they they tend to be commercial properties or empty properties, and they're just, you know, having fun with their friends and paying for the privilege and and. Paying actually through the nose for the privilege. Uh, the one, you know, the one huge difference that, you'll, that I've noticed, uh, different sides of the Atlantic, is how much cheaper it is to go suns in the USA than it is in the UK. Um, you know, we we regularly will pay uh, upwards of a thousand pound per night for a building, um, and then when you divvy that out between the twenty or thirty people that you're allowed to take there, you know, it, it can be quite an expensive. Um, Hello? Hey. Hello. Oh, you yeah, just went off on me. So, no, no, no. I just, you know, it was the natural end of the. Because uh, I heard the bell coming. Ah, that's what it was, huh? I had, yeah. I, okay. had I had a premonition. I had a premonition. Bell was coming. So I, I did want to talk to Steve about, I mean, Stephen Scott about. I, I think I'll hold that for the second hour because you're returning with us for the second hour, Stephen Scott. Yes, yes, no problem at all. God bless you. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so anyways, uh, Steve, uh, Stephen Scott, if they people want to find out more about you, how can they do that? 
tune in for the second hour, of course. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it's just look, look, look for me on Facebook, Stephen W.K. Scott, Spiritualist Medium. There you go. And uh, Stephen uh, Parson, anything you have coming up in this age no. of... Uh, no. No. Uh, no. No. I do have to announce, of course, that I canceled uh, Spirit Quest uh, today. Um, it was... I had extremely mixed nah, people. A lot of people you, were requesting you've that us, I... You've given us a lifeline. You've thrown us a lifeline. Everybody was requesting that, uh, you know, that we still have it and everything else. But uh, on, uh, on the bottom line, it was time for to cancel it for the safety of everybody involved. So that's the way we go. I, I, th- I think you've actually you've thrown, you've thrown us a lifeline because uh, we can now do it all on Zoom. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> so anyways, um, Stephen's coming back. Stay tuned for another hour of Ghost Chronicles. This time, Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with my co-host Ian Carrigan. And Stephen will be there. We'll be going to be talking a little bit about mediums and ghost hunting. So I'll give Stephen Scott a little heads up on that one. And uh, Must be well, that's Steve. it. That's that's it for now. So uh, we want to thank everyone for listening. Today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrick Street, Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Gallant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover. Good night, God bless, and stay safe. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.